بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله صلى الله سبحانه وتعالى فضل that we are here to remember him even though he is the one who gives us tawfiq to remember him he is the one who gives us tawfiq to worship him to praise him to honor him and then he gives us a reward and he does everything and then he says good you've done good right we wouldn't do that especially not in corporate we do all the work and we pay somebody else the bonus so that's how selfish man is Allah's nidham is very different. You cannot 
project or superimpose the system of the dunya on Allah. It doesn't work. They never converge, they never meet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is lavaniyun anil alameen, totally independent of all the worlds. He doesn't need us, um, but we need him. Yeah. So that's how we should behave. Yeah, that's our attitude, our mindset should be that uh, we are always in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times. And he is never in need of us. So we now look at, at the various ibadat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us as a gift. The ibadat that Allah mandates, obligates on human beings, is actually a gift from Allah, is not a burden. Although the word taklif is used as a mukallaf, etc. But if we see it as a gift, then we will readily, inshallah, perform it. If we don't see it as a gift, then it will be difficult, very challenging. But if you see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through his fadl and through his rahmah, has given us guidance through the Quran, through the Sunnah of the Prophet, through Islamic values, then you will cherish everything that you do as a Muslim. You will honor everything you do as a Muslim. You will love everything you do as a Muslim. You won't be resisting. You won't be in a mood of rebellion. You won't be skeptical. You won't be asking dumb, stupid questions. Why this and why that? You'll do it because you'll love Allah. You do it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you. You do it because Allah is saying that if you want to procure my pleasure and uh, meet me in Jannah, then you'll do this. And it's a very, very easy trade. The trade is a no-brainer. You get in something for nothing, basically. I mean, you want to go into Jannah where there are no problems, no problems, no illnesses, no foul play, no issues, no hunger, no fatigue, nothing whatsoever. And then you complain, why do I have to do this? Why do I? So our mindset should be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, always in a giving mood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always in a receiving mood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is shakur. More than just appreciative. Much, much more appreciative than we can understand and we can appreciate. So Allah gives us jannah for a little bit of effort. In the Allah has now bought, exchanged Jannah for believers, their souls, their bodies, their minds, everything. So when you have traded yourselves to Allah, what does Allah give you in return? Jannah. It's an easy sale. And it's so cheap. 
40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, however long you live. Okay, life is a, going to be a struggle for you as it is a struggle for the non-Muslim. There's no difference. If you're in this you know, container called the dunya, where you're contained by space and time, you will be tried. You will be tested. You will have issues. You will have problems. You will perhaps get sick. You will perhaps not have a job. You will perhaps be in debt. You will perhaps have issues with people. You will probably have fights with your spouse, with your children. You'll have issues. Because that's the nature of this container. Once you're here in space and time, space and time means you will have issues. And that is irrespective of whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim. It doesn't matter. Once you come inside, you will be now affected by space and time. So we mustn't think that problems come to us and problems don't come to non-Muslims. Or why are we marooned on this island of problems? That we are isolated and somehow all people's problems are now my problems and I don't have any way to move forward. You can. But the macro, it's not the macro issues, it's a macro understanding of life. It's a macro understanding of you in life. So what is my purpose in life? I have to procure Jannah. That's your objective. And that's your goal. And that's the only reason you're created, so that you go back to where you were. We were all in Jannah through Adam and Hawa. Now we came here through Adam and Hawa. We have to return there. So if we believe that uh, this life is the only life and uh, Muslims must have glory in this world uh, and they forsake or they sacrifice glory in the other world, then obviously that's from the devil. That is shaitan. Muslims must focus purely on dying in such a way that they are welcomed into Jannah. That's the purpose of Jannah. How do you do that? You struggle, you know. You grow through the ibadat, your daily routine, your weekly routine, your monthly routine, your annual routine. It's a routine. Okay? You wake up, you sleep. You eat, you drink. You go to work, you come back. Sometimes you're tired, sometimes you're not tired. Okay. So this is how we must see ourselves, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala okay, wants us to do whatever other people do. And they struggle. So we struggle. But the only difference is in your niyyah. Why do you exist? If I exist solely for the purpose of hoarding wealth, making money, um, amassing lots and lots of money, having credentials and getting God knows how many PhDs and God knows how many cars and how many houses and uh, how much esteem and how, how much, you know, you know, um, you know, effectiveness you have in your community, etc. That is the wrong direction. You have to face the right direction to get to your destination. Destination is where the light is, where the nur is. The nur is Allah and that nur you will see in Jannah. So you face that nur, you face Allah, you face Jannah. If you face the other way, you'll be chasing shadows. And you'll never catch up with your shadow. It is impossible. The more you distance yourself from the nur and you face the other way, the more you'll be far, far away from your destination. And this is a simple Islam 101. 
Everybody knows this. Um, and we have to say this. We have to remind people. We have to remind each other. We have to repeat it. Right? Don't you eat the same food sometimes once a week if you, if you really love a dish? If you really love a dish, I mean, you won't say, well, I just ate this last week. Nobody said that. Yeah, so you must eat the reminder again as a ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to remind each other, uh, as we all know. Um, so this is for part of tathkir. And so just a few, uh, inshallah, reminders about um, our ibadat, uh, starting from wudu and salat, inshallah. So we must make sure our wudu is correct now, again. Okay? This is not something that's new to you. It might be new to a few people. But nevertheless, it has always been the tradition of the awliya. Okay, to remind people of the ibadat, of the mechanics of the ibadat, of the spirit of the ibadat. And so First and foremost, obviously, is wudu. Wudu is the key to salat. And our wudu has to be good in the sense that we are engaged in thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thinking about, you know, the day of judgment and so on. For every limb that we wash in wudu, there's a dua attached to it that pertains to the day of judgment, the mahshar. Right? Meaning, when we, uh, you know, when we wash our hands, we say bismillah, and then we do miswat, and then we, you know, clean our nose and when we clean our nose we say Allahumma arihni rahi hatul jannah this is a dua it's masnoon dua you won't find it in too many other books but you know it's a beautiful dua Allahumma arihni rahi hatul jannah Allah allow me to smell the smell of jannah now who has that kind of presence when they're doing wudu so I know how to do wudu you do? <laughs> um, and there's Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min rahiyat al-nar I seek refuge from you from the smell of hell. This is how you know particular you must be. This is how much dhikr you must have. Awareness recognition that I'm doing this now. As you go further uh, you wash your face and you say Allahumma bayyid wudhi yawma tabiyad al-wujuh well, Allah, brighten my face on the day you will brighten other people's faces. Now, this is a hudur. This is a hadra. This is a presence. This is a realization. Where am I going with this hudu? Hmm. Yeah. So you don't know everything yet. <laughs> you have to be careful. This is the Imam Ghazali, rahmatullah, has written on this. So we get that information from there. And don't darken my face the day that my faces will be darkened. So what, what are you experiencing? You're there in front of Allah on the day of judgment and you have these you know, phases to go through. Right? These are the phases of day of judgment. You're going through this phase. I don't want my face to be darkened. Think about the actions that will darken your face. Think about the actions that will brighten your face. Think about what it takes to smell the fragrance of Jannah. So you have to now realize it and put yourself in that mood, in that mode. 
And once you start doing it methodically, it will become second nature. Uh, yeah, so that's how we see uh, all of these, as I said, limbs and organs, when we wash them, there is a purpose of manifestation on the day of judgment, which we call the mahshar. The mahshar is before Jannah. And the mahshar and the day of judgment is long, unless Allah's fadl comes upon us, inshallah. Um, and then when you start washing your hands, uh, your arms, you say, Allah, a'atini kitabi, bi'amini, wa hasibni hisabi yasirah. You realize that, that I'm going to be given my book of deeds on the day of judgment. So you ask Allah, give me my book in my right hand and then make my hisab and audit very easy, very simple. This is why you're saying you're washing your hands. So you're not in the kafla. You're in the kafla. Then when you wash, wash your left hand, you say, Allahumma, la tuatini kitabi bishimani, wa min warai dhahri. Allah, don't give my book of deeds in my left hand, nor behind my back. So all the ayat that you hear about, listen to, read in the Quran that uh, the book of deeds will be given. You're bringing that into you. So when you, when you bring that into you, you're making this dua, now you're reflecting, you're thinking. You're preparing yourself spiritually, intellectually to get into the mood and mode of Salat. This is a preparation. Then when you do Masah, then you make the dua, Allahumma adhillani tahta dhillik, yawma la dhilla illa dhillak. Allah, give me the shade of your shade, the day when there's no shade besides your shade. Imagine you're there the, on the day of judgment. Okay, the heat and the sun is right on your head. And you're perspiring. You're sweating, you're perspiring with the Prophet. Some of you will be up to your ankles, some of you will be up to your knees, someone will be up to their bellies, and someone will be up to their neck, and someone will be submerged in their sweat, in their perspiration. So when you're making wudu, what are you asking? Who are you thinking about? You're thinking about you in front of Allah. Allah, shade me, cover me. Give me your shade on the day when there's no shade except your shade. Now to think about this. And that's why you make the dua. That's why the ulama showed us that these are the duas that are narrated from the sahaba. That this is what they would think. This is how they were performing their wudu. Mm, yeah. Think about it. It's so deep and it's so, what do you call it, emerged in focusing on the akhirah. It's not just simply a ritual called ablution. Then you wash your hands and feet because they may be dirty. Mm. I mean, that's stupid. Really? Hopefully they're not dirty. But that's not the only reason why you wash your hands and why, why you make massage. What massage is this? What's the point of doing this, isn't it? This is the point. That it's the time when you make dua to Allah. Allah, shade me so that you have this physical motion that you want to be shaded. Right? Oh, the, the, the medical, physical benefits, they're not even under discussion. So you can see where the Ummah is today. 
they want to find the physical benefits of wudu. We say, have you thought of the spiritual benefits of wudu? Maybe you need a paradigm change. You need to think about the akhirah, brother. Um, yeah. So that's, um, so that's how you do this. And then when you make a masa of your ears and your neck, your neck, behind your neck, there's a dua to. Allahumma asmi'ni munadiyan yunadi yawm al-qiyamah. Asmi'ni munadiyan yunadi yawm al-qiyamah. Allow me to hear the call of the caller. The angels will call and see who's a believer, who's not a believer, who's ready and who's not ready. Think about that. That's all you have to do, sit and think. So this is how deep Islam is. It's not secular. It's not secular. I say this all the time so that you remove yourselves from the filth of the dunya. You can't adulterate Islam with the filth of the dunya. It is not secular, period. There's nothing but nur in Islam. This is nur. And when you, uh, you make masa of your neck, Allah See the conclusion. Okay. Liberate and free my neck from the fire. This is your conclusion. Well, I'm there in front of you. I don't want to be in the fire. So you make God for that. Huh? Yeah. Then when you make, you wash your feet, you say, Allah, keep my two feet on the straight path. Referring to the path that goes over Jahannam. Um, this is what you say. You make this, oh Allah, I'm going to be there with you, in front of you, in your presence, in the mahshar. I'm going through these phases now. My, this is just wudu, by the way. I haven't gone to salat yet. <laughs> you can imagine what salat is. Right? Yeah. Then when you wash your left foot, Allahumma la tazilla khadamayya. Yawma tazilla akhdamul munafiqeen fil nar. Allah, don't let my feet slip. The day when the feet of the munafiq will slip. So make these laws. Now you've made wudu. <laughs> Before you, you were making wudu, you were doing something else. God knows what you were doing. Wasn't the wudu of the Prophet Obviously, the, the, the physical mechanics, obviously. If women are wearing name polish, they should remove their nail polish because the wudu will not be valid. The water has to seep through into your nails also. Just in case, you know. But don't bring enough there. Oh, what am I doing this? I want this. I gotta beautify myself. Yeah, you gotta beautify yourself in front of Allah. You gotta get to Jannah first before you think of beautifying yourself. You do things for Allah's sake, not because of social convention. Because every other person in the planet is now making wudu with nail polish. I gotta do it too. No. You're going to remove that nail polish because you're making wudu to meet Allah. Yeah. So don't blame the fiqh. Blame Yunus. Is it difficult? Maybe if you made it your life goal and you're following the convention of everybody else on the planet, then yeah, you can say that the fiqh is so difficult. No, you're difficult. 
you're the one making an excuse for not following the sunnah and to the fiqh. The fiqh has to be right. Likewise, if you think of the idea of making masa over certain types of socks, for God's sake, remove them. You're in your house, you're in the masjid. There's no haraj whatsoever, there's no problem. You're just bone lazy. You can have wudu friendly socks, I guess. <laughs> the fiqh, some mufti will give you a fatwa. I'm not talking about the fatwa here. I'm talking about your niyyah to please Allah. How are you going to sacrifice for Allah if you can't even wash your feet? In the comfort of your house, in the comfort of the masjid, you're not willing even to take your socks off, which are probably smelly anyway. We have all these young players, basketball players, they come into the masjid with smelly, stinking socks, and they get this kind of remote fatwa from some remote guy. I won't call him an alim. Yeah, you can wipe over your socks. Man, they're stinking. You can't bring stinking feet into the masjid. The angels run away. What good is that to your salat? You're just bone lazy. Now you see how many issues come up with our mindset. It's about the mindset. Am I pleasing Allah? Am I following a convention of convenience and laziness? The Islam doesn't allow laziness. Just because some guy said it's okay. Really? Maybe you should try a few things in the dunya on this paradigm. And perhaps not go to work. Oh, not go to work on time. It's okay. No, but it isn't. You'll fire you. <laughs> right. These small, small issues. It's not about the fiqh. Don't look for concessions in fiqh when the normal sunnah is in front of you. So whether that's halal or haram, I don't know. I don't care. I'm just telling you the way it is. Get off your lazy donkey, whatever it is you're riding. Come into the mood of sunnah. Follow the sunnah. Because the sunnah is what's going to get you to meet the Prophet in Jannah. If you don't follow the sunnah, who are you going to meet in Jannah? So, well, you didn't follow my sunnah, why should I meet you? But it was halal. Well, okay, then you go with the barely halal group over there. Your darajah will be lowered. Your ranking in Jannah will be lower, and you'll be not even in coach class. You'll be sitting where the luggage is, just to give you a ride. So we have to stop thinking about Islam as a convenience. It is not a convenience. It is an attitude that I will do everything to please Allah. And I will do everything according to the sunnah of my beloved Muhammad sallallahu I can sing nasheed on the side, do this mawlid, do this, do that. But I don't take off my socks when I ulu. Who am I following? Who are you following? You're following your nafs. But some people say it's allowed. <laughs> okay, there goes your bonus. I was saying that the, the, the art of making wudu, that's in the hadith. Man tawadda'a fa'ahsana wudu'a. 
whoever makes wudu and then perfects his wudu. It's not just making wudu, you have to perfect it. How do you perfect it? By reciting all these du'as. You can listen to the recording for the du'as. When you have time, if you've forgotten more, I'm sure half of you have forgotten it. Listen to the recording, make sure you make those du'as while you're you know, washing every limb. It is part of wudu. It is the ihsan in wudu. You know they have ihsan in salat? There's ihsan in everything that is Muslim. Everything. So the attitude should be that I'm following the sunnah of the Prophet The goal is to please Allah. Not any convention. Not any convenience. Maybe okay, maybe not. Don't go there. You will unfortunately lower your status in front of Allah and the Rasul When you are there in the mahshar and you made all these du'as and these du'as will come to help you when you're there. In every phase of the mahshar, when you read these du'as, these du'as will come and help you, protect you, give you shade, make sure your book of deeds in your right hand, make sure your face is bright and shiny, make sure you don't slip on the bridge. That's how important these du'as are. But you can only do this if you understand the Islamic civilizational value of following the Rasul and following the Sahaba because nobody understood Islam more than they did. No one. And that's who you follow. That is your Islam. Whoever you have as a sheikh, as a teacher, as a mufti, that's on one side. But this is a sunnah. And we must establish, normalize the sunnah, not normalize a convenience. That's not the Islamic way. We have to normalize not just halal meat. We have to normalize something more than halal, which is called the biha. Take the extra effort. Make the extra effort. Don't rely just on the fatwa. That's not going to help you, neither as an individual or a community. Okay, it's very halal. You're not deprived, subhanAllah. You got people asking questions about, you know, dubious restaurants. Right? And we say no. So you go and look for a fatwa from some other, Maulana Mufti, and so on. He, he, he says it's fine, so you go need there. What is that attitude telling you about you? It means you are a hedonistic, convenience-searching Muslim who's just simply bone-lazy. You're not going to die if you don't eat in that restaurant. Are you hungry? You won't die if you don't eat in that one restaurant. I mean, you have so many restaurants, mashallah, alhamdulillah. Or you can cook at the home. This convenience thing has just corrupted, distorted, the image of Islam of most people in the world. Now, you'll probably say you're a purist. Maybe I am. Maybe you should be a purist too, occasionally. Don't you do that for the dunya? You want more and more money, you want more and more bows and bodas, you want to make sure your retirement money is there, you want to make sure life is comfortable. 
So what we want you to do is we want to make sure that your akhir is comfortable. We want to make sure that your khabar is peaceful, your grave. We want to make sure that your mahshar, the day of judgment, all of these things are expand and that they're comfortable. You're not in any stress on the day of judgment. We want to make sure that if your ranking in Jannah is high, you're not low. So this is how we see the mindset. This mindset now comes into Ramadan. That was just the backdrop. What's the Ramadan issue? Ramadan issue is that you leave for the sake of Allah. You stop doing for the sake of Allah. Almost everything else in Islam is about doing. Fasting in uh, the definition of the ulama is a tarq. Fasting is tarq, leaving. You leave food, you leave drink, and you leave sleep. And you leave now speaking to a certain degree. One of the meanings of soul in the Quran, as some of you know, through Maryam salam, is that I will not speak to any human being today. That's when she was carrying Isa salam. So she was fasting. She made a vow to fast. But the only way she could fast is not speak to anyone. I won't speak to any human being today. So you leave speaking also where you're supposed to cut down on your speech. Not that you don't want to, what you call it, be part of human society. Ramadan is about time out from human society. It's not about time in. You have your lamb months to do that, mashallah, alhamdulillah. So now what is the culture of the Muslims? Throughout the world, I'm not just saying USA. Throughout the world, what is the culture of the Muslims? You have bazaars open, mashallah, subhanAllah, at the time of iftar, time of tarawih, time of suhoor. You go to Muslim countries, the bazaars are open. Really? Is that, is that a sunnah? That you have to be engaged with people in Ramadan? Or should you leave your usual conventions for the sake of Allah? For the sake of Allah, not for anyone else's sake. So now, mashallah, people, some of you will be going for Umrah and you'll be shopping at midnight. And because it's normalized, you won't think twice about it. Because it is normalized. It is in your face. So you have to think. First of all, why am I here in the haram? Second of all, it is Ramadan. And third, what should I be doing at night in Ramadan? Because we've normalized the path that leads to sin, everybody thinks it's Muslim. And everybody thinks it's Islamic. Okay. What does the purist say? Okay. Look at the Sunnah. There's no evidence whatsoever. Neither logically, nor morally, nor Islamically, nor intellectually. There, there's no evidence whatsoever of people creating conventions that are totally against the Sunnah of the Prophet Now, obviously, you go, unfortunately, and not much you can do. <laughs> but at least think about it. That's what the Prophet said. That if you cannot change something that is wrong, at least believe in your heart it's wrong. 
and that is the lowest level of Iman. Now, what we have we done? We don't consider anything to be wrong because it's normalized. So where's our Iman? Okay, you can't change the convention. Okay? You can't stop people from shopping. You can't do this. And maybe you can't even tell people this is because you'll probably get a slap in the face. But at least in your heart, in your mind, believe that this is wrong. That belief will help the process of change. Once you have acquiesced to sin, then the game is over. The game is over. Because there's no repentance. It's going to be normal. And everybody around you is going to scream at you, shout at you, condemn you for being whatever you are. But there's one phase left. Through the Rahmah of the Prophet he left that one door open for us to protect our Iman. And that is what? Believe in your heart it is wrong. Believe it. I don't mean lip service. Yeah, it's wrong. No, believe it. It must hurt you when you see something wrong. Internally, spiritually. You must be disturbed. Right? Like the normalization of the, whatever is happening, not just this country, all over the world, normalization of the totally inhuman practices is normalized. When uh, you go to college, when your kids go to school, and they see all this filth, the first thing you should do is make sure they know and believe that it is wrong, and they must detest it. You must indoctrinate them that way. You must have conversations, open conversations. Don't be shy. If you're shy, because then the other party will come, and they'll take away all your values. Is that what you want? No. So in Ramadan, the Ramadan is about leaving, Turk, leaving food and drink, leaving your need to talk too much, gossip, leave your phone, don't be on the phone 24-7, cut it down, at least minimize it, leave your iftar parties, say no to somebody, so I'm not going, I have a principle. Just say that. No one's going to hurt you. They're going to kill you. Are they going to kill you? If they kill you, then you'll be a shaheed. You'll go to Jannah. You're just bone lazy. The mindset of the Muslim, when it comes to Islamic rituals, is that they simply have not understood what is the, the zero mark. This is a zero mark. Now that you're following a convention, it has become normal. It's normalized. It's normal for people to not go for Tarawi. They don't even consider Tarawi Tarawi. They want to do Ajrakas, which is not Tarawi. Even that's normalized. Right? The idea of Ramadan is to do more Ibadah, not less. So those who say this is Ajrakas, are, are, are they promoting less Ibadah or are they promoting more Ibadah? Those people who say 20, they're promoting more Ibadah. That's the spirit of Ramadan. Never mind the fiqh. That this has been a tradition from the, the Sahaba, from the time of the Sahaba, since Umar, everybody has performed 20 rakats, irrespective of any mother. This isn't before the mother, before Abu Hanifa came, before Imam Shafi came, before Malik came, before uh, Imam Ahmad came. Imam Malik did 36 rakats. 
as a convention. Why? Because he wanted to be on par with the people of Makkah, because the people of Makkah, after every four rakas, would do a whole tawaf. So he calculated that means we have to do 36 rakas. He never said eight. Yeah, you blame the Sunnah, you haven't understood the Hadith. What about the Muslim civilizational value? This civilization is based on precedent. It's based on tradition, not just one Hadith. And even beyond that, there are so many Hadith that justify 20. So we have to be careful, what, what, what are you doing to the Ummah? Are you saying don't pray more? That's not the spirit of Islam. And we all say this every year. And we'll say it again and again and again. Because we are in a position to change. Yeah, some of you may not be in a position to change necessarily. I, I, I don't think you should try it either. <laughs> You'll get into trouble. So at least in your heart, you must believe. Eight is now not the sunnah. In your heart, you must believe. Whether you can change it or not, that's a different issue. Why? Because we need all the nur, the rahmah, the maghfirah we can gain in Ramadan. And you not you won't gain as much in eight as you do in twenty. Trust me. It's a no-brainer. It's absolute no-brainer. And in Haramain Sharifain Mahasala since time immemorial, they're always done twenty. And if that's the you know the, the paradigm for success, this is before the modern age. This is way before the modern age. It started so many centuries ago, as I said. From Umar radiallahu anhu. So we, we, we have to be in, in this mode of capturing the nur that Allah sends down every day, every night in Ramadan. Now, Taraweeh itself is sunnah. Is it further? I didn't know. But in Ramadan, you better step up your game. And don't use the fiqh. There's only sunnah. No, it's not sunnah, but it's a civilizational value. This is what we do as a Muslim civilization. We pray taraweeh in Ramadan. That's what we do. This is who we are. This is what we're known for. Stay with the ummah. Don't try to make your own groups. So then, again, normalizing the idea you don't have to read so much. There's not too much this and that. And so. What is this? So we have to, uh, again, uh, urge people, encourage people, encourage ourselves, urge ourselves, prompt ourselves to do more in Ramadan, not less. Now, obviously, you work, uh, you're tired, you're hungry. By the time iftar comes, Maghrib comes, you're probably angry too. And, and there's no one more angrier than, you know, your poor wife who cooks for you. She's probably the angriest. <laughs> right? So give her a break. You know that anything she cooks for you is sadqa. Do men know that anything a wife cooks for the man is sadqa? Because it's not wajib on her. Now if she goes around and says, it's not wajib for men. Yeah, there goes your life. Right? Now, they do it because it's a civilizational value. It's not because it's for the wajib and sunnah. Women, Muslim women, they do the work in the house and they cook. Oh, because out of love for you, but also as a civilizational value. This is who we are, this is what we do. Now, if you want to go with the other convention, have some other convention, like the Western convention, and uh, say, so we'll do half-half, then they're losing out on the ajr. 
You can do that. In terms of fiqh, the mufti will give you a fatwa. I won't suggest that you promote it for many reasons. There again, the nuances that you need to know in order to understand the spirit of Islam. So if he's not doing something for you, Ramallah, give her a break. It's okay. You, you do it. <laughs> right? You participate. Why are you the boss? So anyway, I'm not saying to women, mashallah, that they shouldn't do that. They should do that. Most women like, you know, doing nice things in Ramadan, mashallah. It is through the fall of Allah that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said that. And, um, what did he say? That shahrun fihi yuzadush rizqul mu'min. It happens organically. It's not strategic. It's not planned this way. So the Prophet said, this is a month in which the risk of a believer is increased, not decreased. But as I said, it happens organically. It doesn't happen because you dictate everything to your wife and your, 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 your daughters that you have to do. This. No, it just happens. So let it happen the way it happens. Don't poke your, you know, your straw into it or po don't poke your nose into it. Don't interfere with the nidham of Allah. Let it happen, and it happens invariably. This is from Allah, this is from the ghaib. Yeah, so don't mess with the ghaib. Uh, don't be a dictator in your house and do this, this, and that. That's not how you procure Allah's follow. You have to be kind and polite with people, especially those who live with you. So anyway, what I'm saying is that these are some nuances, I think there's some ideas that, that we have in terms of helping each other create an environment an atmosphere, an ambiance of the sunnah. Make sunnah normal. Normalize the sunnah. Don't make the fatwa normal. Don't normalize the fatwa simply because of convenience and sheer laziness. We were never a lazy ummah. Never in our history. Until we discovered, you know, material success. And then that led to hedonism. That all you want is have a good life. So cut it down. Spend time with Allah. This is what this month is about. Spending time with the Quran, your dua, your dhikr. Spend time, uh, obviously, through taraweeh. And then later on, when you go home, you sleep a while. And uh, you wake up for tahajjud. And you make dua. And you do everything that's in, in line with the sunnah. During the day, cut down on your talk. Cut down on your speaking even about Islam, cut it down. People might say, oh, I'm, I'm going to le learn this. No. The ulama don't like classes in Ramadan. Do you know that? Ulama don't like teaching in Ramadan because their focus is in ibadah. That's why here in Al-Qasim we don't have any classes. It was never normal to have classes in Ramadan because people were engaged in Ibadah, it's the month of Ibadah. So all of you people say, you're on classes in Ramadan, give it up. Make the sacrifice, do the Ibadah. Sit down, read the Quran, read some salawat ala nabi, read some nawafil, engage with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the norm that we used to have. We don't have that anymore. Oh, you want to do a mawlid, you want to do a nashil? No, give it up. Engage with Allah. That is what Ramadan is about. And no better person to say this to us than the Prophet himself. 
He always made anti-crime for, for 10 days. So what was he doing? He's saying, uh, let's leave the world. Let's leave the world for 10 days at least. Let's forget about the world. Any zakat, sadqa you want to give, you give before those 10 days. Let's focus on ibadah as an ummah. And in Yatikaf, uh, you're not allowed to talk to people. Either. <laughs> you're not socializing. You're leaving. That is the spirit. You leave for the sake of Allah. You leave it. It's really not a big deal for 10 days of the year. You don't speak to anyone. What's the big deal? Maybe you need time out too. You need a break. Your nafs needs a break from you. The last year, he, he sat in Etika for 20 days. 20 days, he sat in Etika to show the Ummah that in Ramadan, it is normal to disengage. It is not normal to engage. So you have to think about these things. This is how the Sunnah that comes to our rescue. And it cures our illnesses, mental, intellectual diseases that we have about Islam because they're all bidat. So Ramadan comes, the Sunnah comes, rescues us from all of these uh, kind of very fallacious and, uh, you know, almost, you know, uh, anti-Islamic ideas that we have about Islam. So that's your Islam, basically. That's our Islam. That's why tadkir, reminders are good. So this is how, inshallah, we want uh, all of us, Allah give us all tawfiq to do whatever pleases him the most, inshallah. So now when you're making wudu, have a sense of where you're going to be on the day of judgment. Bring down those du'as. Okay. Visualize the day of judgment as you're making wudu. It will be uh, slightly, uh, what do you call it, tedious in the beginning. But once you're there, it will be second nature. You will never do wudu without making these du'as. It will become second nature, and, you, uh, and then you're there as, as you're, you know, wiping your forehead. And, uh, give me your shade. Grant me your shade. And that will just put shivers in your spine. It should. It should make you shake. It should make you tremble. It should make you cry. You know, what is this? Shade on the day of judgment. I'll be perspiring like crazy. Think about each dua. Uh, and then you see the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The nur of the Quran, the nur of the Sunnah, the nur of Islam will come upon you. The issue is that we don't give, we don't open the door for the nur to come in. Because of our nafs, our conventions, convenience, the society, community, what are people going to say? What's Allah going to say? Have you thought about that? <laughs> You're worried about the embarrassment here? Embarrassment on the day of judgment? As the Prophet made the dua, don't embarrass us or humiliate us on the day of judgment. So you have to bring that mindset. Then you say, Allahu Akbar. Because you've already left the dunya way back before you wudu. Now, who are you talking to now? You're talking to Allah. And why is Allah? Allah is in Jannah. So when you're in Salat, you're in Jannah. You can't think about anything else. That would be obviously a violation of just a totally, totally ignoring his majesty, his glory, his beauty, his maghfirah, uh, his rahmah, and uh, all of that. So we, we, we have some work to do, uh, inshallah, Allah give us all tawfiq. Okay, this is not ideal, this is the real. 
this is who we used to be, is not far-fetched. Um, it's not something that is outside your range. It is, it's within your range. You just don't know it because you've never tried it. So if you try it, then you'll get there. Then you'll start enjoying true Islam, not Islam as a slogan, not Islam as a lecture, not Islam that's written in a book. Islam that is lived, breathed, smelled, tasted, where you become Islam. If we do this, it's very simple. Yeah, I don't want to frighten you because there's nothing to be frightened of. It's very simple. And it's just simply the mindset that I want to do things to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to leave my nafs in Ramadan. Leave my nafs. I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to engage. I don't want to do this, this and that. So, so the good news is that Ramadan, mashallah, is generous to everybody. Allah's rahmah is so accommodating, it'll accommodate the worst sinner. So don't lose hope. Move forward. Don't assume that you're no good. Now, you may be no good, but Allah's fadl will make you good. Allah's rahmah will make you good. Allah's maghfirah will make you good. When Allah delivers you from the fire, in the last 10 days, you will be good. Right? So we're not attacking Muslims that they have no hope. No, they, they, they have a lot of hope. They have their niyyah, they have their mashallah du'as and their dhikr, and they have the tawfiq and opportunity uh, to do uh, everything that they, they, they need to do, do, and more than that, inshallah, by making du'a, basically. The bottom line is, is, are you humble enough to make du'a? And are you strong enough to leave your conventions? That's another key issue, which we all have issues with. Do things to please Allah, and Allah will be pleased with you. And Allah is pleased with you, that's all you need. That's all you need. If anyone else is displeased with you, but Allah is pleased with you, then it's okay. Not the end of the world. I, I would hope he's pleased or she's pleased with me also. But at the moment, it doesn't look like it. we'll move on. We'll make dua. We'll forgive and we'll forget, inshallah. So anyway, we make dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us his uh, nur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us and um, cover us with his rahmah in the first 10 days. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, forgive us for all our sins, past, present, and future, the ones we know. And the ones we don't know in the second uh, 10 days, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deliver all of us, every Muslim who has, has ever lived from Adam until the last Muslim who's on earth, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deliver all of us from the fire of hell in the third 10 days. Ameen ya Rabbul Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khalqi Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. There will be a class here at 12.30, so...